welcome and thank you for joining Speak Up for Safer Care. Speak Up for Safer Care is a product of Safer Care Texas, a patient safety division at the University of North Texas Health Science Center in Fort Worth, where it's our mission to challenge traditional thinking to eliminate preventable harm. Speak Up for Safer Care illuminates gaps in care, process, or design that leads to preventable harm in all healthcare settings. I'm your host, John Sims, Director of Safer Care Texas, and today is a very special guest. It's my sweet wife, Karen Sims. Today, we're going to hear about how medical decisions impacted Karen's quality of life from her own words. Despite the challenges we will discuss today, I want our listeners to know that Karen has ensured that our home, our children, and me are organized and prepared every day that we leave the house. She's the glue that keeps us all on track. Happy also to say that we will celebrate 29 years of marriage this September. It's my privilege to serve her and spend the rest of our lives together. So with that said, honey, you ready to get started? I'm ready. Okay. So again, thanks for sharing this uh, this story. I think it's a very impactful story and I think it's gonna be great for our listeners. So let's start with the tonsillectomy that you had when you were 17. What happened and what impact did that have on your life at that time? Well, um, I was having a lot of problems with allergies, sinus infections, that type of stuff, just seasonally. Um, the doctor suggested that we get my tonsils out and that may help with that. They said that I had had a staph infection after that. And one of the first medicines they tried was a penicillin. The doctor felt like I was having a severe reaction to that and immediately switched over to a sulfa drug, noticed a huge reaction happening from that, and then went to a CEPRO. And that resulted in the Steven Johnson syndrome. Okay. So, so um, tell us about the reaction. What was the reaction that you had from the penicillin and then the sulfa drug? Well, the penicillin, I don't actually remember being a severe reaction. The doctor was the one that thought it was an allergy to the penicillin and my, and my mother, of course, but I do remember the sulfa and the CEPRO those two reactions were starting to get more severe all over the body. It was a rash that was like a burn that covered me from head to toe. And as a result of that, at 18, um, I had to have cataract surgery because it actually burned the lenses of my eyes. And so tell us, so what um, what happened after that? So at 17 uh, and 18, you had... Um, had cataract surgery, which is unusual. Tell us about the events of the, the burn and when you were diagnosed with Steven Johnson syndrome. Well, they did get me to a hospital here in Fort Worth. And the doctors um, at that point tried vancomycin. Vancomycin is a tricky medication from what I understand. And if you run it too fast, it has something called, I think, red man syndrome. So it's not actually a reaction. It's just a result of running it too fast. It has to be given intravenously. And so they did run it a little too fast and it scared the doctor and he thought I was going into another reaction to that drug and decided to pull me off of it and told my mother to go home and there was nothing he could do. He, he was leaving me, didn't, didn't want to take care of me. It's, I, I imagine I was pretty scary looking. I was 
pretty red and blistered all over from head to toe. My skin was weeping. And so it was, it was like a, a burn patient. And so we went home and my mother called some doctors that had known me from the past. I had a dermatologist that she worked with and he got me into the uh, hospital in Dallas. And so from there, they were able to check me out and said, this is Stephen Johnson syndrome. We're going to put her in the Parkland burn unit. So that's where I stayed for a couple of months. Well, that had to be scary for, for you and your, and your mom at that time. You know, you, you're, you're not, from what you described, you're not well, right? You're, you're still red and blistered and they took you off um, an antibiotic that they thought was going to work and you're still in that condition. And they said, leave the hospital. Yeah, it was, it was frightening for my mom. I don't think I understood the gravity of what was going on at the time, but to watch her fear of not wanting to take me home, you know, for me at that point, I was like, yeah, let's go home. I don't, you know, nothing's going good right now. But my mother knew that it was more severe and I didn't even realize that Stephen Johnson syndrome is a pretty severe chemical reaction to drugs and it has to be taken care of immediately. And, you know, there's certain things you need to do. And so she did not know that, but she knew, you know, going home was not the right thing to do. And so through that, you, you had, um, you had bilateral, I'm sorry, both of your eyes, um, you had lens implants due to cataracts. Tell us a little bit about how you found, how you came to know that you had cataracts, because that's not common for a 17, 18 year old. Well, I didn't realize I was losing my eyesight. So I guess it was a gradual process. It started a gradual process like with the elderly. It's it's not, it doesn't just hit immediately. It's a gradual growth, you know, of anyhow. Um, actually, I learned just from having a few car accidents. Oh boy. Yeah. I didn't realize that I was losing that, I guess, perception from, you know, length away. And I did notice that in bright lights, it was harder to see. And we eventually got my eyes checked and they said it was a result of the Stephen Johnson syndrome. Wow. And so how long did it take to, to get over the Stephen Johnson syndrome? It probably took about a year and a half. I was um, a sophomore. And so I left my sophomore year and did homeschooling and went back my senior year. And so I stayed in contact with my friends. I healed. By the time I healed and went to school my senior year, you, nobody would be able to tell that my skin had been burned or blistered. I didn't have any major scarring that can result from that. Um, but I had huge sensitivities and was now realizing that it was more autoimmune that I was dealing with and not necessarily something that you could see. Mm. And so after high school... I guess you were, I was 19 and you were 20 when we met, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, I didn't, I didn't notice anything, right? No, no. But then, you know, we got married, we started a family and talk about some of the challenges, challenges rather that you had with your skin during that time. Cause you know, with some of your pregnancies, with one of your pregnancies it was great. Next one really struggled, right? Yeah, it was. So, most of my skin problems were, um, I was learning from that time. Um, I could no longer eat egg. I had s sensitivities that I didn't have before that burn. So everything was kind of, if I found out, it was because I tried something that 
I realized and we had to figure out what I was reacting to. So it was a little hard. Yeah, my first pregnancy, I don't think I had any allergies at all. It was wonderful. Uh, my second pregnancy, it was horrible. I mean, uh, my face and my rash came back. I couldn't figure out how to control it. There were medications that I knew that I was going to be able to use and some that I couldn't use. And so it caused a severe depression. I did not go back to work until the middle one was probably eight or nine months because I had to do that. And part of that depression was to just hang rags over the mirror because I just didn't recognize who I was with that blistering effect happening. Mm. Yeah, I remember that. The, the The lights were out in the house and all the mirrors were covered up. Yeah, it was it was a painful process. And we got through it, right? We got through yeah. it all. And mm-hmm. um and for for a while, you know, what I recall was there was there was a few little reactions and when they when we had reactions, it was about a week long process. But yes. They became fewer and far between until about 2010. Take take us back to that. What what happened in 2010? In 2010, they had desensitized me when I was 16 to Keflex. So when I left the hospital, the Parkland burn unit, I knew that there was always going to be Keflex, which was a broad spectrum antibiotic that I could use. And so I never really used it the whole time we were married. But in 2010, I had a little bit of a rash on my neck and the doctor was like, you know what, let's try the Keflex. Let's try that. And for some reason, um, I had used it a few times throughout our marriage, but not just maybe a handful of times, but this time I reacted to it. And when I reacted to it, they tried me on, I think, Ativan or something. Atarax. Atarax to calm the itch or something. Anyhow, I think I had a reaction to that. And what happened next was instead of Steven Johnson syndrome, I was diagnosed with what they call TENS. And you'll have to say what that is. TENS stands for toxic epidural necrolysis. Okay. And so that, my just uh, definition has always been, it's Stephen Johnson's big sister. It's a bigger burn and it, it can cover more of your body. If you could even imagine it covering more of my body this time, it actually burned my cornea. And so when you see me. Some people notice it. Some people don't. It looks like I've got a light blue eye, <laughs> but it's um, it's actually the scarring from the burn from TENS. And so I am a candidate to get a cornea transplant, but to be quite honest, <laughs> I just, you know, I've had to do a lot to advocate for myself and find out what medications I can and can't use. And so it's not something I'm in a hurry to do just yet. Sure. And we'll, I, I do want to talk more about that. Um, but talk about the medications that you were on. So you, you had to go to the hospital a few times when you had the TENS. Yes. What, what medications did they put you on and how did that affect you? Well, the medications that they put me on, um, we called the doctor that I had used in the past and he was aware of the um, TENS diagnosis, but I don't know if he was aware of how to treat TENS. And because he was a doctor that I had known for a long time and had called him in, I trusted him. And 
accidentally he used high dose steroids, which is what they use for Steven Johnson syndrome, but they do not use for TENS. There is another protocol for that. And I, I did not know that, but being on high dose steroids and tapering down, I think for four months, my skin cleared up and everything was great. I did get moon face from being on the um, steroids for so long and I gained weight and I had monstrous energy, but I lost muscle in my hip flexor where I couldn't walk upstairs. There were severe, I don't know, reactions or just uh, that happened from taking those steroids. But um, the biggest thing is when I finally got down to the bottom dose within a few weeks, started blistering up right back to where I was. And they called that steroid withdrawal. Right. And then we went to another medical center Mm -hmm. and they started you on another medication. Yes. Uh, Throughout the process, we found out, um, we we went to some dermatologists and they treated with cyclosporin, which is, they were trying to calm down the immune system. And they did this with cyclosporin, which is an anti-rejection drug. And I didn't take it in this high a dose of somebody that would has a transplant, but I had a very low dose. And after being on it a year, it may have calmed things down a tiny bit, but really I had not healed any and my skin was red. The only thing we did find out is that now I had such a sensitivity to the sun that just walking out to the mailbox or sitting in the front seat of a car, I was getting sunburned. And when I'd start to clear up, and I'd walk outside, I didn't even realize that I was burning myself. And it, and it's even with indirect ray, sitting under a, a tent or just wearing a hat is not enough. It will, it'll burn me and that'll take about a week to get over. And, and you still have that today, don't you? Yes. John drives Miss Daisy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Karen sits in the back seat and I drop her off as close to the, to the door of wherever we're going. Or we go out at night. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, hun, do you think that uh, healthcare harmed you? And if so, how? I think that it caused me not to trust doctors for a while. Um, I felt abandoned at 16, and it took me a long time to build trust in doctors. And watching my mother advocate for me taught me how to advocate for myself. In 2015, after we had been home for a while and I was bedridden for a while and I started to get a little bit better, even through seeing the dermatologist. And even with that medication not working, John suggested that we needed to find a primary care physician. And it was a fight. I didn't want to go. I was not having good luck with the dermatologist. And so I just didn't know what telling my story was going to do at all. And so um, we did find one of the neatest doctors, somebody that John had worked with and believed that it was a good fit. And so one of the first things he did was ask me about what had happened. And when I had to give him the history, I could not talk without tears just coming out. And he immediately said, one of the first things we're going to do is go get EMDR treatments. He said, you have got such horrible PTSD from this you cannot get well until you can be emotionally well and do deal with this. He said, because you're going to have to be well mentally as well as physically. And, and for everybody listening, EMDR is a therapy called eye movement desensitization reprocessing. Yes. And so, yeah, go ahead, Karen, tell us how that. How- well, I met with a counselor who is certified in doing this and 
she would have me retell the story. And as I'm retelling the story, I would either follow a light or um, she would be patting on something. Sometimes it was music that would pass from one ear to the other with some speakers in my ears. And so um, that every time you told it, it would desensitize you. So you could still have, you would know the story of, but the emotion was not as tied to it. And so you just kind of heal from that. I don't think I realized how healing that was until probably months after, say, my 15 treatments were finished. So, so um, with all this, everything that you've been through, and I've been, I've been right there, so I've, I've had a front row seat to it. How do you manage your uh, health care concerns now? Well, you know, I think, I don't know if they had um, electronic medical records like they do now. I will say that that has been a great thing because I'm in a system with doctors that communicate and talk with each other and work as a team. And I don't think I felt that when I was younger. I don't remember it. So I don't feel that abandonment in the group of doctors I'm with, even working with my eye right now. I've got doctors that will, you know, I've got a friend and I want you to see him. He's in our network. And so I want you to see him. So they've set me up. They're all three glaucoma doctors, but they're working together. And the one doctor, you know, before John and I saw him, he said, oh, I took your, your, you know, your folder home and I was looking over it and I'm trying to figure out some stuff. Those are things that I never heard of. I never felt like a valued patient. I always felt like I was just kind of another patient in the waiting room. I, I don't, I don't know. There's, I've been lucky enough to find a team, but I've also partnered up with a nutritionist who's a functional medicine type thing. So they're working with my whole body Mm. to help with the inflammation. And sometimes it requires me to eliminate some foods temporarily to get rid of inflammation. And then we start to see that all over the body, but I've had to try new and different things. So yeah, that, that whole health approach, you know, the mind, body, spirit, your, your diet is is a part of that. Self-care is another part of that. So uh, definitely think that's a, that's a much, that's a, that's a better approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds like doctor, our primary care doctor, rather, kind of instilled that in you. So um, it was worth the fight that we went through to get you there. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> it was. So what would you say is your greatest fear today? Well, you know, uh, part of the whole reason I haven't done the cornea transplant is because I know that my body can be a challenge in finding medications to deal with my eye in the aftercare. And so they're not sure what my body will react to. I mean, they desensitized me to K-Flex and I used it all those years. And then all of a sudden I just couldn't. So those are fears that I have going forward. And it's part of the reason that I, you know, sometimes I like to do a more natural approach and the functional medicine has been a new approach for me in the last I think 2019 is when I started looking into that more. And so, I don't know. Feeling heard by the doctors has been a big thing to get me to trust them again. And that's that's a very important distinction. You mentioned electronic health records, and they are. They're great. They have revolutionized healthcare. Uh, but I think in this landscape right now, in general, with, with being short-staffed and being pressured 
Sometimes there's a lot more attention to getting your documentation in timely than listening. And uh, I'm glad that that's been a, a better experience for you. Can you tell our, our listeners what what's the state of your vision right now? Okay, so right now we are at a new challenge. My good eye is actually giving me problems, and I've got about a 20-30 vision in that with corrective lenses. And so I um, was given an eye drop that has caused some swelling in the back of the eye. And so um, they're suggesting surgery on my good eye. So what I have done is got back in touch with my nutritionist who really helped with getting some inflammation down. And the eye drops are working. We're starting to take that inflammation and swelling down. But, you know, in advocating for myself, I'm going to be telling the doctors, give me a few weeks to give this nutritionist a chance to help me get this inflammation, it could help with the eye. So, you know, I've got doctors that are pushing for surgery, but I'm going to have to um, tell them, give me two weeks. Let's see what happens. I've got somebody else on board that can happen. So those are some steps that are pretty new for me to kind of speak up for myself and say, give me a chance to see if getting, you know, from a nutrition standpoint, it could affect the eye in a positive way. Sounds like you're speaking up for safer care. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hope that it works. I've had problems with macular edema immediate. Well, not immediately. In the first part of our marriage, I was seeing somebody for the macular edema and it went away and I never had a problem with it. But the medication that they had me on caused it to come back. And so as a result, I guess because I'm older, it may be a little more severe. I don't know. So through this whole process, and if it's it started when you were 17, we're, we're talking about a long time here. How was your support system? You mentioned your friends early on when you were homeschooled, that you still kept your circle of friends, and that was very supportive. What about afterwards? Well, you know, <laughs> when you and I got married, we were constantly learning how to read the ingredients on everything and finding out what, and then eventually you just know what you can get. Um, but I, throughout the years, people know that we are really careful with certain things that we eat and stuff like that. I've got such a really neat, my kids, sometimes before we are in a restaurant, before we get our food, they've already checked the allergies for what I'm wanting to eat. So sometimes I don't even get a chance to ask myself before my immediate family is already asking and very careful. But I've got extended family that has been always so gracious to say, listen, we got this and don't eat that, but eat this. Or I made a special one. I've got a cousin that makes cakes. And if she knows I'm going to be around, she makes a special cake. So it used to be embarrassing. But I think that over time, people learn and they want to support you. They want you to have cake that doesn't have an egg. So I mean, um, I don't get used to it. I'm used to doing without desserts. But when you have a support system like that, it does make going through life much happier. Yeah. Some of our family members have referred to me as Karen's uh, seeing eye dog because yes. when we go out in public, <laughs> I have to watch out for curbs, cracks in the in the uh, street. And this is when we're walking at night, of course, because uh, she can't see those things. She will walk right over them. And mm-hmm. uh, Karen, I think what's really interesting is for people that don't know you would not know I don't want to say you're blind because you are blind in that left eye, but 
I, I don't think people would know that she runs and uh, very, very fast in, in our home, especially, but because <laughs> she knows where everything is. But even out in public, she'll just go. And I'm like, hey, wait a minute. We got to step here. You're going to fall. A lot of people would not know, especially with autoimmune. People don't understand you're well one day and the next you're just not. And then with my eyesight, you're right. When I'm familiar with something, I just get up and go. But I do have a problem with depth perception. And sometimes I don't see curbs when they're stepping down. And so as I get older, that could be a really bad problem. But um I just, you know, I, <laughs> I kind of take off, you know, um, and that's, so you can't really tell, but yeah, I've got some challenges and a lot of good people around to help. Tell us, um, after all this that you've shared, what, what's, what brings you joy? Cause we, we've got a different lifestyle, but it, mm -hmm. it's not, it's not bad, right? It's just no. it's different. Well, and I think, you know, what brings me joy is that this second burn, with tens happened when our kids were almost grown, you know? So I had those years of T-ball in the sun and running around and driving the van, taxi van, going places and stuff like that. So I had those. And so that brings me joy is that this burn happened late. It's just you and I that kind of fumble through all that. And there's new things. I mean, we get to do a lot of different things. As soon as the sun starts going down, it's usually safe for me to go out while there's still light out. And and we're doing finding new adventures, you know, to do. So it's it's not it's not like I don't have a life or we don't we're our experiences just aren't the same as they used to be, sitting outside with everybody in the sun, you know, going to the swimming pool. So it's a little different, but finding joy is I think we have to advocate for that too, for ourselves. We can't just sulk and there is a life to be had. <laughs> it's just a few challenges. So it's, it's, it's good. Well, I really appreciate this. Everything that you've said is, is inspirational, whether you realize that or not, the things that you said about self-care and Hey, yeah, we had this insult, right? Uh, that impacted our quality of life, but we're not going to sit around and sulk about it. We're just going to adjust. Yes. Um, I think it's a great message, especially right now. We're coming out of the pandemic. People been sheltered in place for a long time and, you know, they're kind of irritated. Yes. And uh, so I, I like your approach to this. So again, this was a very special podcast to me. I hope uh, everybody listening will receive it that way. And so Karen, I really appreciate you, um, uh, sharing your story with us. Thank you all for listening. Speak Up for Safer Care is a product of Safer Care Texas, Patient Safety Division at the Health Science Center in Fort Worth. We'd like to thank our technical producer, Rob Upchurch. We are calling you to action. Speak Up for Safer Care. Suppose you're a healthcare worker, counselor, subject matter expert, former patient or caregiver, and have a patient safety story. Safer Care Texas invites you to be our next guest. Please contact us through our website, safercaretexas.org. Also, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Safer Care Texas. We'll talk again next Wednesday, and thanks again for listening, and as always, speak up for Safer Care.